need to be on the shuttle by five o'clock. If you would like to walk to where your car is, then you don't need to worry about what time it is. Your car will be there, but the shuttle will not be. When we serve communion, there will be gluten-free elements available on the far side of the pulpit. The two center stations will have um, gluten bread, whatever that's called. Um, we welcome to leadership again Brian Combs as our preacher and we welcome for the first time since he has become the resident bishop in Western North Carolina, Paul Leland to be our celebrant. We are very glad that all of you are here. We look forward to worship with you. Will you stand together and join in our call to worship? Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of God's name. Come and see what God has done, turning the sea into dry land, bringing us across the river Jordan. We sing praises to you.
May we be in a posture of prayer. Past, present, and future God, in amazing and persistent grace, you have kept covenant with us. We thank you for loving us even when we have not loved you. We long to behold the day of your appearing, even as we stand now in the view of your kingdom, promised and made present in Christ Jesus, in whose name we wait and pray. Amen. You may be seated. The lawyer must have gotten his Ph.D. in neo-Orthodox Christology. A vertically oriented dissertation that argued for the dogma of transcendence, the glory of God that is always hovering far, far removed from the human condition, that the following of incarnation is always subordinate to the worship of eminence. It's not surprising then that the lawyer confronts Jesus and begins his colloquy with an inquiry not about earth and sky, about dirt and bone and breath, but instead only about heavenly things. Embroiled in his own theological controversy, Jesus responds with what would become his most quoted story, his most famous parable, the Good Samaritan. And so the question before us today is what makes the Samaritan good? What makes the Samaritan good? I invite you to hear this familiar scripture anew from the Gospel of Luke. Will you join me in the prayer for illumination that's printed in your bulletin? Faithful God, we wait in hope for you to speak. Come to us in scripture read and proclaimed. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Increase our faith that we may do all we are commanded to do according to your glory. Amen. The scripture is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. All right, church, we had a little practice yesterday. Thank you all for coming up front without being asked. All right, what do you think? What makes the Samaritan good? 
He stopped. Yes, what a great answer. A priest and a Levite did not. It is always fascinating to me that it's the ones with the seminary degrees, the ones with the fancy robes and the stoles who were too busy. Apparently their church calendar was too full to notice the man in the ditch beside them. After all, they had to do important things like lead a worship service and sacrifice the temple. Yes, the Samaritans stopped. Perhaps that's as faithful a response as there is in the whole world. He stopped and he turned. Remember, Moses would have missed the burning bush if he had not turned to see it. And the Samaritan would have missed the man in the ditch if he had not stopped to. Yes, he stopped. What do you think? It was spontaneous. Oh, that's an interesting answer. Yes, I, I'm amazed how often grace is rarely planned. What's beautiful about the spontaneity of this moment is the man did not have a chance to consider his options. Didn't have a chance to calculate the risk. It was almost this compelling of him towards that which was suffering. Now, when we've used this scripture on the streets, what has been very interesting to me that I would never have considered to hear from a schizophrenic and an addict and a guy who lives under the bridge, their response to this text was, the Samaritan stops because he has a sensitivity to suffering that those people in privilege do not. I wouldn't have thought of that. But the priest and the Levite, they have all the accoutrements of wealth and they have become blinded to all those who are not like them. But the Samaritan, we remember, Samaritan was a word that was a slur for everything else. This was a man that was a half-breed. He worshipped a pagan god. He was anything but a human being. And yet, he knew what it felt like to be discriminated against. And perhaps that's why he responds to this man in the ditch. Oh, I've been in that ditch myself before. Not just once or twice, but my whole life. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, he had supplies. Yes, God gives us all kinds of gifts that we are called to share with people. It's called asset-based church. (laughs) I am amazed at how many well-intentioned, well-heeled suburban churches will call and want to come and do ministry with those people in poverty. And there are a few assumptions that are always made. One is, if you are in poverty, then God doesn't love you. That means you're cursed. And if you're rich, that means God has blessed you. We call that prosperity gospel, and it is preached in many of our churches. But when people come, they get out of their pristine vans, and they say, we are here to save the poor people. Because it's not possible that someone in poverty or with mental illness or addiction would have anything to contribute to the world. All they want to do is take, and all I want to do is give because it checks off my works righteousness box for the day. But the Samaritan, who has nothing, according to the world standards, well, he checks his book bag and he checks the saddle on his donkey and we know from the story of the Good Shepherd, oil and wine are an antiseptic. And we know that two denarii, well, that's 60 days worth of lodging at the Motel 6. And you get the sense that everything he had, all right, I'll give it to this man who I don't even know. Yes, it's remarkable. He uses what he has. John, what do you think? The blank check. How many of us are willing to do that to say to the innkeeper, whatever it takes? If you need to exhaust the bank account, if you need to liquidate the portfolio, if you need to sell the ranch, fine. Take care of this man. Do whatever is necessary. A remarkable act of generosity. You get the sense that it's almost like Mary when she pours out the costly ointment. The very best I have, well, I'm going to give it away. Yeah, thank you, John. What do you think, Kat? Yes, he enters into continuous relationship with the man. Peter Gomes has a, a lovely little commentary on this sermon and he he makes the case that hospitality is messy 
Because here's what it requires. It means that I'm going to have to learn your name. And that we're going to have to eat together. And we might even have to share a kitchen. And we might have to get to know each other. And when your relatives come over that you'd rather not see, after a while, sooner or later, you look at one another and say, I may not have chosen you, but your family. And that's what the Samaritan does with this man, this stranger. He extends hospitality and all the hassle that comes with it. And who knows what happened when he circles back around. Maybe those two are still friends to this day. But he does that, yes. Say again. He's not called good by Jesus. So do you not think he's good or? Until after the fact. Yes, that's a great point. Yes, what's beautiful about the Samaritan that makes him good in my opinion as well is that he doesn't go around announcing, look at the good deed I have done. Let's put my plaque on the church wall. I want a building named after me. I had a seminary professor who said something incredibly strange at the beginning of one class. He said, my biggest frustration at church is when we invite our members to come up here and then we applaud them for being Christian. He said, why do we thank people for following the Jesus they have claimed to give their whole lives to? The Samaritan does it anonymously. Yes, it's a beautiful point. Thank you. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for raising that point. The Samaritan was an enemy. When Jesus began telling this story, all the good folks who were listening expected, it's going to be a Jew who went to Sunday school, who knew the Torah, who followed the law impeccably. But then Jesus says, no, it was a Samaritan your hated rival. It's incredibly upsetting when God puts in our life the very person we would least choose. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think, Ed? Oh, Ed, that's a really interesting insight. I, I had not read that before. I, I love that. Yes, that the, the, the Samaritan took care of the traveler in the way that would make him most comfortable. You can imagine, and some commentators think the guy in the ditch was the Jew. The last thing he would want is to have a Samaritan bandaging his wounds for the next 60 days. That would have been insulting on top of insult. Yes, and so he pays the way for someone else to do the care. And that perhaps that was a, a, an even deeper loving act. Yeah, beautiful. Anybody else? What makes the Samaritan good? He doesn't ask why he's in the ditch. <laughs> he doesn't ask why. Perhaps one of the most sinister terms I have ever heard in poverty ministry is the deserving poor. I don't know what that means. The question for us is never why, but who. And the who is always Jesus. The who is always Jesus. Absolutely. Yes, he doesn't ask any questions of the man. There's no interrogation. Well, he redefines what it means to be a neighbor. Not just an ancestor of Abraham, not just an acquaintance you can leverage, not just an Israelite down the cul-de-sac, no. Neighbor becomes the radical other. It is the habitual violator of religious statute. It's the stranger you hope never moves in next door. The Samaritan is good because he's neighborly with a man who has zero claim on his life. He doesn't practice stop and frisk. He doesn't check the man's skin color. 
doesn't do a cavity search to see if there's any contraband, doesn't run his social security number through Homeland Security, doesn't run his ID through the charity database, and he doesn't stop long enough to figure out whether or not the man is deserving. He needed help, and that was enough. The Samaritan is good because he doesn't profile. He rescues his hated rival. We know the Samaritans colluded with the Syrians and the Jews believe that salvation history only ran through Jerusalem. And while those two groups didn't agree on anything, they were certain about this. They would rather die than receive aid from an adversary. It's like Donald Trump being rescued by Rosie O'Donnell. It's like the Southern Baptist Convention being saved by a lesbian pastor. It's like David Duke by William Barber. The Samaritan was good because he loved his enemy. I signed up for a summer of clinical pastoral education in downtown Atlanta. My setting was a bombed-out squatter building that turned into a homeless shelter. I became frustrated with all the supervisory sessions and the paper case studies, and I knew that my education required the praxis of an overnight stay. So I lined up with all the other guys, and I referenced my name, and I followed them upstairs. On the fourth floor, it was just a concrete slab and nothing else but a litter of rusted-out bunk beds. After it got dark, I lay there on that musty mat, terrified. There was sodomy in the bathroom. There was a crack rock smoking in the corner. There was a felon by the broken window sharpening his knife. A little before midnight, this aged out pimp showed up and stood over me. I'd met him in the soup kitchen, but I didn't know him well. Unsure of his intentions, I just looked back at him. He finally said to me, you don't belong here, but I know you're trying to learn how to be a pastor. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to take the top bunk, I'm going to take the bottom. You're going to try to go to sleep, and I'm going to make sure nothing happens to you. If Desmond Tutu was right that we preachers ultimately only have one sermon to preach, then mine began in the Pine Street shelter in Atlanta. And this is it. That in the red light districts and the back bedrooms, that in the labor pools and the threshing floors, in the naked cemeteries and the leper colonies, and in the roadside ditches where the nameless men and women who have beaten, robbed, and left for dead go and wait, that is where God shows up. Jesus was born a homeless man in a ditch. He asked his disciples to lay down their nets and follow him into the ditch. And everybody since has been called into the same ditch. That is where God goes. The Samaritan is good because he's Jesus. We all know that. He's the Messiah whose Christology is so much lower than the lawyers, than the priests, than the Levites, and the churches that bear his name. And so for all of us who have been called, who have been set apart to share the good news of the good shepherd, of the good Samaritan, may we all get down off of our donkeys and cross over to the other side so that we can run the denomination, the seminary, and the church into the ground. Amen.
receive now this invitation. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, all who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Will you bow your heads in prayer? Jesus Christ shares our humanity and understands our struggles to be faithful. Yet even when we are faithless, Christ remains faithful. Jesus came not to condemn or exclude, but to make us well, to make us whole. In his name we confess our sins and call out, Lord, have mercy on us. Let us pray together. God of mercy and grace, we are meant to praise you and give thanks to you always. We confess that we do not live out of constant gratitude. We harbor resentment for what we lack. We blame you. We blame others. We doubt your compassion, even your power. We find it hard to give ourselves away to you or to others in generous expressions of gratitude and praise. Forgive us, we pray, for attitudes and behaviors that diminish in us joyful thanksgiving. Heal and restore us so that we may return to you with the right spirit. Help us to live holy and joyful lives, befitting people you love and save. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we are yet sinners, and that proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let us share with one another signs of that peace. The musical settings for our responses will be found on page 17. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn.
holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Now, with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray. Our Father, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from Let those who are assisting with the uh, stations come forward and let us be served.
There will be one gluten-free station over here near the pulpit. Let us come. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your Spirit to give ourselves for others. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now receive this benediction from the fourth chapter of Romans, in which St. Paul is referring to the miracle of God in the act of Abraham and Sarah, when he said, This is the God in whom we believe, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so we hope, even against hope, for with God all things are possible. Go in the belief that all things are possible in God. Amen. Let us rise.